1: This is Little Atoms, a radio show about ideas and culture. With me, Neil Denny. This week, Hannah Jameson on her latest novel, The Last. Hannah Jameson wrote her first book at age 17... Q Magazine described her as writing like an angel on speed. She has worked for the NHS and travelled the USA, Japan and Europe, developing a particular interest in the US, which has led to her studying for a BA in American history. Today we're going to be talking about The Last, which is her fourth novel.
2: Mm -hmm. Is that right, Hannah? Yeah. Hannah, welcome to Little Atoms. Hello, thank you for having me. Um, How would you describe The Last? Um, In a sort of one-sentence pitch probably as a murder mystery set in the months immediately following a nuclear war that has destroyed most of western civilization.
1: So Our narrator is John Keller Mm -hmm. Um, Tell us something about him, who he is Uh,
2: John Keller is the uh, protagonist Uh, The whole novel is told through a series of diary entries, uh, sort of similar to The Martian in that way. Um, He's an American academic, um, a historian who was at a conference in Switzerland and when nuclear war breaks out, he's basically stranded in a hotel with about 20 other survivors who, um, you know, didn't bother to try to make it to an airport or a train station, they just thought they'd wait it out, wait for an evacuation that never actually comes.
1: And so we we told the story through John's perspective, which of course means that we only know what he knows. Yeah. Um, we don't know anything about what's going on outside the hotel to begin with. So why did you want to write it like that?
2: Well, I didn't want to write anything like like World War Z that was, you know, really all encompassing and has all these different perspectives. I thought that would get quite overwhelming. Um, I kind of wanted to bring it down to the group psychology of a group of survivors completely cut off from the rest of the world and from sort of modern communication as well. Um, and a sort of recurring theme in the novel is anxiety over the loss of the internet, because it's just how we know about everything. And it's, it's not, you know, you find out about the end of the world through a push notification and then it all goes goes down. So I was much more interested in getting into the psychology of each of the survivors and sort of look at them as a micro society rather than do a sort of grandiose statement about the world.
1: And so why the diary format as well?
2: Um, That just kind of naturally came out of the writing. Um, I like writing from first person perspective anyway, because it, it, it makes everything feel so immediate. And it means I can really get inside someone's head. And also when I whenever I've tried writing in third person, I, I obsess over who the narrator is. Um, and even if I read a book that's now in third person, I'm just like, but who's speaking? Who are you? Who is this? Who is this observer? And so I just get way too concerned about who is speaking, and um, it's just easier if I get to speak entirely through a character, and it's way more exciting as well because I get to actually like be them for a bit and look at everything through their perspective.
1: And you said though that you're, you know you're interested in the in the psychology of the survivors and you know how they deal with this, but of course what that means is actually John's interested. We're we're only seeing those survivors through. John's eyes aren't
2: we? Yeah that's true and um, I guess he is also like there's a lot of projection going Mm. on where he's projecting his own reactions to them onto each of these people. So yeah we're mostly going through John's kind of process of loss and process of grief and shock and all of those associated emotions. Um, but I suppose like through his limited perspective, we get to see a variety of responses to that grief and loss as well. We, we get to see like uh, the women like Tommy, who's extremely pragmatic response is to start looting and stealing alcohol and stockpiling stuff that she's going to need. And then there's um, other women like Tanya, who's the the doctor at the hotel, and she just kind of throws herself into her work and, you know, is is very reserved and very reclusive.
1: I wanted to talk about Tommy a bit later on, but let's do that now, now you've raised her. She's a great character.
2: Okay, cool, yeah. (laughs) Tommy um, so she sort of arrived in the story as a as a challenge to John. I thought it would be really interesting to have another American in the mix um, with competing sort of political worldviews and it also allowed me to um, explore uh, the theme of blame quite well because you know John's a he, he's a liberal and she's not she's probably what a libertarian sort of probably a a, a right wing voting libertarian. And uh, it's interesting to see them kind of fight it out almost in that he's very obsessed with projecting the blame for the end of the world completely onto her and her political perspective. And her retort is, well, we all saw this coming and none of us did enough to stop it. So I don't see how you can say it's just my fault. And then the rest of the non-American characters, the Europeans, they solely blame the Americans. Um, So John is like in the same boat as her in that sense.
1: In terms of the blame, I mean... It's mentioned a couple of times in the novel that you know the actual political situation is not alluded to really beyond a couple of mentions that Tommy has voted for somebody that seems like Trumpian. Now, I guess the gestation of this book is probably longer than that, so it might not necessarily have been referring directly to Donald Trump, was it? But it certainly seems that uh, he's come along at the right time if it wasn't.
2: Uh, the book wasn't referring directly to Trump. I, I didn't want to write a book about about Trump because, I mean, that's so reductive even to write about politics now, to, to only write about Trump. But the book itself, the dystopian aspect, that was inspired by the political discourse following the US uh, presidential election in 2016 it was because nuclear war was sort of back in the discourse again and people were making jokes about it and people of, of my generation it's it's just become part of our lexicon in a way that it wasn't before and i found that really interesting but the reason i didn't allude to any kind of trumpian uh sort of president or or, or name someone in that way or, or even single out america as you know a kind of boogeyman is because the problems that we face as a society are, are global problems, and the problems that are going to get us don't only stem from America. They're something that we have to face as a as a as a whole. And I didn't want to reduce all of the world's problems to this one person.
1: Um, I want to come come back a bit later on to sort of inspirations. Just staying with John for the minute, he's an interesting take on the unreliable narrator idea because he spends. Considerable part of the book, not really knowing what's happened because he's in, you know, he's in shock, he's in this sort of emotional distraught state, and obviously, you know, as everybody is, the world's ending, potentially. Let's talk about, you know, that idea of him being like, you know, again, we're only seeing events through John's eye. Can we trust him?
2: Um, well, I I like to sort of play with people's trust throughout the book. I th- I'm sure there are points in the novel where John is overtly more trustworthy than he seems at other times and it's mostly in just how he interacts with other characters sometimes he interacts with them really respectfully and like a really you know like a sweet considerate person and at other times he's just so single-minded and so rude and so obsessed with like his own idea of legacy and what he's leaving behind and his own issues with you know his wife and children who he can no longer contact um that he comes across as a bit of an asshole and I also, I suppose, the first-person perspective gave me the opportunity to explore the unreliability of memory. Like, even without getting into, like, untrustworthiness, the fact that, you know, he remembers things in in sort of scenes. He doesn't remember everything from the day that nuclear war broke out because he wouldn't. He blacked out for some of it. And it comes back to him in dreams. It comes back to him in in conversations. And it's very fragmented. So, yeah, I mean, he's... <sighs> He's trustworthy in that he seems like a good guy, but then at other times, you know, how much can you really trust your own version of events ever?
1: We haven't really raised the um, the sort of murder mystery aspect of the book yet. So there's a body found
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, quite early on and John decides to devote part of his time to, to investigating this murder. And I love the way that, I mean... That element of it drifts in and out of the book, because obviously, on the one hand it keeps being overtaken by the obvious need to you know to survive things are more important, but also as lots of the other characters keep saying him, why is he bothering what 's one more death
2: mm-hmm. yeah well the uh, i mean i didn 't set out to write a a crime novel with the last or or even a murder mystery novel per se. I was more interested in how John was going to use this girl's murder to cling to his own idea of humanity and it becomes a lot more about his own journey and about everyone else's journey into reconciling you know what does justice look like now they can no longer you know call the police or they can no longer rely on a trial like what happens when someone commits a crime against the group and what are you going to do with them are you going to execute them are you going to not are you going to incarcerate them like what do prisons mean now so the murder mystery itself, like it's definitely secondary in the narrative, but it's a really useful way for me to explore what I think are much more interesting subjects.
1: And yeah, it does work in the, you know, the sort of classic mould of a murder mystery. You know, there's this big country house. Yeah, confined space, word, you know, wide confined cast spaces, of suspects. Cast of characters, yeah. So tell me something about incorporating those elements into it.
2: Um, well, everyone keeps uh, comparing the novel to Agatha Christie. Which um, I, I don't dispute, and also I can't because I, I've never actually read any <laughs> Agatha Christie, so it's it's an interesting comparison to make. But I think it was it was a really good way to get John into kind of interviewing and interrogating people, and projecting his own issues with himself and his own issues with each of these characters out onto you know this you know this girl's this girl's body basically. And it was interesting to see how it sort of consumed him more and more as the novel went along and things, went, things became even more unstable. And also the, how the investigation itself becomes a threat to the stability of the group.
1: Well, I was going to talk later on about other influences on the book, perhaps other writers, and you say you've never read Agatha Christie, but, you know, there are sort of classic murder mystery elements in here. Mm-hmm. So what other writers were an influence on that part of it?
2: Um, on the crime element? Yeah. Um, it's hard to say now. I think with regards to the crime element, it's more of an old habits die hard uh, thing because my previous three novels have been like, you know, psychological crime thrillers. Mm -hmm. And um, at least, you know, the first one is definitely a classic whodunit scenario. And I think I I mean, I'd have to go way back to find my my crime um, influences. I think that would be people like Martina Cole, And the rest of the novel was mostly influenced by people like Stephen King and J.G. Ballard uh, in terms of the dystopian element. And Stephen King in the the remote, the remoteness of the setting and the setting playing into the horror elements.
0: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once.
1: You're listening to Little Atoms. I'm Neil Denny. Today I'm talking to Hannah Jameson, and we're talking about her latest novel, The Last. And so, Hannah, on to the dystopian elements of the book. I mean, it's been described a lot as a as a dystopian novel. I wonder if in some ways, and again, we don't want to go too much into what actually happens in the novel and give too much away, but in a lot of ways it's, it's not just a novel about the end of the world, it's a novel about the beginning of another world, isn't it?
2: Yeah, um someone else pointed this out quite recently and I was glad that they picked up on that element. Um the reason I would describe it as sort of balladian um to bring things back to ballad. Is that he he did dystopian fiction and it was twinned with utopian fiction. So the reason you know I wrote a novel like this is because it's not just exploring a disaster and an apocalyptic scenario as a catalyst for chaos and degeneration. Like that's certainly happening and it, it's happening within the group and it's probably happening in the wider world. But then disaster is also a catalyst for change and liberation, and it's also about what society this group can build out of what's left and you know like later on in the novel like what other societies are being built out of what's left and that's yeah that was an idea I was really interested in exploring in you know the world has ended but it also hasn't because there are survivors and they still have to endure so how are they going to do that.
1: So let's talk a bit more about where the idea came from then you know the as you said the murder mystery element sort of like I guess came later on but the idea of the apocalypse basically why did you want to write about that?
2: It was... Beginning of this novel was quite an unsteady process. I had 14,000 words of a murder mystery already written uh, that that I'd written ages ago, because I, I had this idea that I wanted to write something with that kind of classic cast of characters who'd done it kind of thing. But that alone wasn't exciting to me. And it certainly wasn't exciting enough to propel me through a narrative. And by that point, I wasn't really even reading crime novels anymore. Because... I just really was crying out for something different and something that tapped into, something that was missing from the whole genre. And I had the end of the world um, idea when completely out of the blue um, in another conversation, a historian friend of mine mentioned a long commute he was doing between two states for work. And um, me being me, I have no idea where this thought came from. I just thought, God, what if civilization broke down or like the world ended and you were like on a commute away from your family? And I became obsessed with this idea of displacement and someone displaced dealing with an apocalyptic event and being separated from everything they know. And I suddenly realised that that was the framing this murder mystery needed. So I took out that 14,000 words and I thought, well, I have a hotel murder mystery. Let's just now put the end of the world around it. And that will make it something I'm really excited about.
1: And the hotel itself, I wanted to talk about sort of building the, the, the locale of the, of the hotel. It's in Switzerland. Why Switzerland?
2: Well, um, I was basically looking at a map of Europe and I was trying to work out where there might not be a blast radius. Um, And there's a really interesting website where you can go online and you can use nuclear like various weapons from various armories all over the world. And you can drop them on specific cities and you can do things like control the height and control the the wind speed. So, So you can look at not only like what the blast radius will be and what the casualties will be, but you'd be able to see where the fallout would, you know, would travel according to like what the weather was like that day. So I spent a lot of time with that trying to work out where you could feasibly survive if nuclear war broke out. And I figured like the middle of Switzerland, they'd probably be all right for a bit, depending on how things panned out. Um, and the reason I picked Switzerland also was just that kind of vast expanse of forest. And because there are horror elements to the to the book as well, I find it it works a lot better when you can incorporate the setting into that horror. Um, kind of in the same way that the terror did with AMC, you know, it's simultaneously really claustrophobic and so remote, and I, I love that kind of juxtaposition of emotions.
1: And indeed, the hotel is ringed by a forest, The forest, of course, being obviously, as you know, just mentioned a classic locale of of horror stories, but also just real forests, you know, places for outsiders, places for sort of outcasts as well, and that's what happens in this novel.
2: Yeah, well, they're so they're so cut off from everything that even the idea of seeing another human being that they didn't know becomes really scary again. So even though they're, they're kind of dying to know who has survived and whether civilization still exists out there, other human beings become this existential threat in a way that they weren't before. You know, there's this idea that we could all just regress to cannibalism and tribal warfare.
1: The hotel itself, tell us something about building that location.
2: Um it was partially inspired by a real life sort of true crime story that became really popular on the internet a few years ago. I don't know if you um know the so story. The one story. about New
1: York, the woman in the in the water tank in New York.
2: Yeah, it was um it in was Los, yeah, it was Los Angeles. Oh, Los Angeles it yes, was the yes. uh it was the Cecil Hotel. <laughs> um it's not called that anymore. I think it's called something else. Um, but yeah the the girl who was found in the water tank, and you can see watch that YouTube footage of her the the night she disappeared, acting really erratically in an elevator. So, I did borrow a lot of inspiration from that. I mean, I mean, the Cecile Hotel also featured in my third novel as well, just because I like cherry picking stuff and I like writing around things that intrigue me and I collect horror stories like a horrible like little goblin of of terror, basically, if you've got a ghost story i will I'll take it and i'll I'll want to explore that and and use it somewhere. So yeah, the, the hotel setting was definitely inspired by the kind of the horror and the frustrated grandeur of the Cecile Hotel.
1: And the characters, the rest of the characters in the book, so there's it starts off with roughly 20 people remaining in the hotel. I want to talk about writing those. As I said, we're only seeing the, the characters really through John's perspective, um, but he observes the various interactions, the various coping strategies that they have, because obviously, you know, this is the end of the world potentially Mm -hmm. and you know everybody's going to react differently some people are going to be more useful than others they might have different roles Mm -hmm. that weren't necessarily useful in the you know in in their previous lives but you know suddenly are tell me something about writing that sort of group dynamic
2: well a lot of the characters I, I wish I'd had more time to explore them and I suppose that that's the limitations of a first person perspective Um, but characters i mean again i like i'm gonna come back to tommy just because she interests me so much and also because people like have such divisive reactions to her uh, which you know makes her even more interesting um one thing that kept coming up is that people kept saying that they saw me in tommy which i just i just don't get because like we are i am at the other end of the political spectrum to tommy and i wouldn't compare myself to her at all but one of my best friends read it and he said oh i see you've just written a superhero version of yourself um and i I didn't see that at all but i suppose like the sort of person that tommy is i'd like to believe that i would react like that that i would be so level-headed and you know be detached enough and and strong strong willed enough uh, to sort of do what needed to be done in a quite ruthless manner. But then you've got other characters like who just retreat into themselves. And then you've got other characters, you know, like Nicholas Van Schyke and a lot of the single men, I guess, who react by lashing out and looking for a fight, look constantly looking for confrontation um tanya is another character of the doctor i wish i could have explored more um if only because she has the story of being basically abandoned by her fiance who tried to make it to an airport when she didn't and one of my favorite moments in the novel is um John's conversation where he finds out about her abandonment by her fiancé and he offers her some kind of platitude like oh well maybe he did try and get back and something just held him up and she just looks him right in the eye and says like well I hope he's I hope he's dead um, and I I really liked that about her.
1: Um, you mentioned the the website with the uh, with the nuclear bombs and the blast radius and yeah. I wanted to talk about how you research a novel about something that hasn't happened and I'm I'm mainly particularly thinking about you know how the people cope you know what what sort of happens the steps that the group take to try and think about surviving where do you go for that sort of thing
2: um well the post the post nuclear war research was it was difficult in that it's never happened Mm um so i was talking to a friend of mine who's a who's a scientist about it and i was asking him a lot of questions and everything he offered was sort of with the disclaimer of well maybe but it wouldn't be like this everywhere so things like you know would there be electricity and he was like well there might be it depends where it came from would there still be internet uh there probably would still be in some places for a while but it wouldn't be everywhere and we really have no way of determining where that would be um because it's so arbitrary and then I was looking up things about, you know, the the rainwater would be radioactive. Um, like, how would you try and go about storing water or growing crops uh, if the sun was blotted out and stuff? So I've, I've learned a, a strange amount about like different agricultural <laughs> methods. Um, but as for the rest of the research, it's also so speculative, which on the one hand, it's frustrating because you want solid answers to that sort of thing. But on the other hand, it's quite liberating because I can create the world that I want.
1: Now, I was thinking particularly in how the people start to react. There's a scene in the book that's, you know, really powerful where they take their first trip out from from the hotel looking for food. Oh, yeah. And John encounters some of his former colleagues. Mm -hmm. And, like, you know, I won't, again, won't say what actually happens in that scene, but it's really striking, like, how quickly... Mm -hmm. those sort of bonds break down in that situation
2: yeah i was um i'm really fascinated by the idea of like uh how civility and politeness would break down very quickly in a crisis situation and sort of everything you thought you could rely on even you know from friends and acquaintances i think that would go out the window much faster than than we imagine it would and that's another thing that you know i suppose is a bellardian influence as well in that it's an exploration of the impermanence of structure. It's this idea that, you know, not only could your schools and houses and our roads and, you know, all of our physical structures be gone overnight in a war situation, but the structures that, like, bind us as people, any kind of social contract, that's gone. And that's that's perhaps even more frightening.
1: And just one thing, one last thing then, and then I'll get you to read a bit if you would. Okay, sure. Again, without giving too much away about the actual plot of the book... You start to introduce elements of sort of synchronicity and fate and perhaps use coincidence and things. So people start to suspect that there might be reasons why they were brought together in that place at once. And I wanted to talk about that idea.
2: The supernatural elements of the novel are partly in there because I, I enjoy them. But they're also partly in there because they're kind of what define us as human beings. And there is, you know, a larger question of if society broke down, what would we cling to in terms of like theories and religions and gods? You know, who who are we appealing to anymore? And um, I, I suppose John's perhaps one of the best examples of that in that he begins to get obsessed with the idea that they were all meant to be at the hotel for some reason. And at one point he even starts to suspect that, you know, he they might all be dead or something, you know, equally outlandish. Um, but I think that's a pretty realistic process. I think if you were going through that type of experience, your, your mind would reach for, for anything to make sense of that event. Um, not just like why it happened, but why you survived and why you're still here. Um, so that's why like, I added the, the sort of supernatural implications without sort of going into it in any sort of bombastic way.
1: Can I get you to it?
2: A- yeah, sure. Um, I'm going to read an abridged version of chapter one just as a teaser, I guess. Observations from L'Hotel Sessiem, Switzerland. Day three. Nadia once told me that she was kept awake at night by the idea that she would read about the end of the world on a phone notification. It wasn't exactly Kennedy's sort of Damocles speech, but I remember that moment word for word. For me, three days ago, it happened over a complimentary breakfast. Breaking. Nuclear attack on Washington in progress. Story developing breaking 200,000 fatalities estimated, say experts. Breaking confirmed president and staff among dead in nuclear explosion, awaiting more information. Then there was some aerial footage from London, and we all watched the buildings vanish into dust in real time under an iconic pillar of cloud. That was the only footage available, so we watched it over and over. It didn't seem as real as the headlines. Maybe we had all been desensitised to the imagery by too many movies. Watching a whole city vaporised like that seemed too fast, and too quiet. A plane went down on the outskirts of Berlin, and we only knew Berlin was gone because someone in the plane had uploaded a video of them going down. Dust in the engines, maybe. I can't remember what she was saying. She was crying and hadn't been speaking English. It was probably just goodbye. Breaking, nuclear weapon detonates over Washington, hundreds of thousands feared dead. Breaking, Canadian Prime Minister Calls for Calm as Nuclear Attack Hits US. Breaking, US Without Government as Nuclear Bomb Devastates Washington. Maybe I was lucky, watching the end of the world online instead of living it, reacting to an explosion or a siren announcing one. We're not gone yet. This is the third day and the internet is down. I've been sitting in my hotel room watching what I can see of the horizon from my window. If anything happens, I'll do my best to describe it. I can see for miles over the forest, so when it's our turn, I imagine I'll have some warning. And it's not like I have anyone to say goodbye to here. I can't believe I didn't reply to Nadia's text. I can't believe I thought I had time.
1: So I've been talking to Hannah Jameson about her latest novel, The Last, which is out now from Viking. Hannah, thanks so much for coming in and sharing it with me.
2: Awesome. Thank you for having me.